Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. take that with you? Okay. All of our technology, all of our screens, kind of get that stuff handled. Um, I'm Nikki. I'm one of the founding pastors here, and my pronouns are she, her. And I want to tell you, I want to start by telling you all a story. So if you have your cup of coffee, enjoy it. You can roll your shoulders back, take a deep breath, because whenever we take time to hear a story, it's really nice to be in a relaxed posture to do that. So I'm going to put you over here. So the story I want to tell you starts out not with a princess, but it starts out with a prince. And a good story always starts out with once upon a time. So once upon a time, there was a prince. And he lived in this fabulous kingdom with riches and beauty and power all at his fingertips. And his mother adored him. And she made sure that he was raised with all the authority and education that was befitting a prince. And his father was worshipped like a god. There were statues carved of his face and painted of him and his entire lineage. All the stories about him and his father and his father's father were written everywhere. And these were all things that everybody learned about. And like any empire or kingdom from the beginning of time, it wasn't the king and the prince and the queen and everybody who was out building all of these kingdoms. All of this was built on the back of slaves. And it was the slaves who were building and sculpting and inventing. And for these thousands of humans who spent their lives doing this, they were building and serving, they were dying at the hands of an empire that they would never, ever um, control. So they found themselves living a nightmare so that somebody else could live their dream. You see, these enslaved people were wanderers. They were travelers. And they were nomadic travelers. They were forced because of drought and because of hunger and lack of water to leave the place that they loved to travel and find some place that was flourishing. Just like any of us, if we ran out of those things, we would leave. We would go out and find the things that we needed. So they were forced into this. They moved into a land, and instead of being welcomed, they were tolerated, they were hated, they were rejected, and then eventually they were forced into oppression as slaves. And they spent hundreds of years building and living in slavery. But much to this empire's fear, the travelers grew in number. And they grew in power. And to protect the wealth and power of this empire, the king decided, instead of being generous and kind and sharing all the wealth that he had, that the best way to go about handling this was to send his army out to kill all the new babies that were being born. Now, one traveler heard about this and heard the murderous noise that was happening and took her baby and took her daughter and she put her baby in a rescue raft and sent him down the river towards the palace because she knew that at the palace there were women who were in the water who might rescue her baby and give her baby a second chance at life. So if anything in this story is sounding familiar, it's a biblical story of Moses 
And Moses was born into slavery, and he was saved, and he was sent out by his Hebrew mother, and he was raised and privileged in power in the Egyptian empire. He had two different life stories. So truly, Moses really had no place to really call his country. And although he was Hebrew at birth, he had all the rights and privileges as an Egyptian, this really kept him from truly belonging anywhere. And so he was raised, and one day when he was grown, he went out and he saw what was happening in, um, in the empire. And one of the things he noticed that he saw one of the slave masters that was beating up another Hebrew slave. And this enraged him, and he was so angry that he beat up the slave um, master and killed him. And out of his own fear, buried the body and then fled, ran away. And in this, he was leaving everything that he knew to be true and familiar, but it was to save himself. And so he runs off, and he starts this new life far away from Egypt. He marries, and in marrying, he joined a whole family and a whole family of systems. Um, so this man, who was heroically saved by his mother and raised with all these rights and power as a prince, is now spending his life kicking the dirt and raising cattle. He was hiding out. Now, when I read a story like this, I've heard the story a lot growing up. I was raised reading a lot of Bible stories. And like most mem memorable biblical stories, and really any good story, we get to observe how humanity fails and how it flourishes. And there's something about reading stories that when we're observing or we're listening to somebody else's deep pain or their deep joy, there can be a connection for us. So instead of it being about our own pain or joy, which can sometimes maybe put us on the defensive and hard for us to change, there's something about hearing another story because it connects something for us. We can see in that story and maybe start to ask ourselves some different questions. Like, what would I do in that situation? If I had that kind of power and privilege, would I do the same thing as Moses? What would I do? So we begin to make this connection, and it can either draw out some empathy or maybe our own anger when we hear a story that deeply angers us about injustice. We also, when we're reading biblical stories, get to observe how God either intervenes in the story or how God doesn't. And then that affects the way that we decide how we're going to interact with God based on that. And something we talk about a lot is that God is good and beautiful here. So is God good and beautiful like we always say when we see these stories? And how do we see it working out in real life? So back to Moses. Now, Moses has been farming and away from Egypt for maybe about 40 years. And so he's out, he's walking, and one day he notices something um, unique, surprising, that he's never seen before. He sees a bush that is burning, but it's not actually burning. Like, it's not actually burning up um, the brush. So what does that even mean when he sees it? Dried desert brush always burns. So instead of seeing it and running away, like if I saw something unique like this, I'd probably, you know, we hear that, we hear a lot of biblical stories, and we're like, we know the next thing is going to happen. But if you stop and think about it, if you saw that, would you move closer? Because in the story, Moses steps closer towards it. I think I would stop... And I'd be looking at it, and I'd be thinking, did I drink enough water today? Like, is this really the thing? <laughs> that I, how much coffee have I had? Um, but Moses moves closer, and when he moves closer, the story tells us that he hears his voice, that the bush calls out and says, Moses. And so that would be the next clue to me to maybe run away, like hear my voice or know something. But Moses steps closer still. 
and he doesn't run away. And then the voice gives him directions and says, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Now, until up until this week, I used to think that fire was an element. I've been thinking a lot about fire this week. Maybe you have too. Um, when I woke up on Tuesday morning, and I distinctly smelled like a smoke from like a wood fire coming in through our um, house. And I'm one of those really quick early risers, so I hit Chris, who's a little more of a deep sleeper. I'm like, we got to get up. Something's burning. And he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, you sleep so much better. I'm, you know. Um, so I jump out of bed, and I run outside. And you guys all know the difference between a fire that's b- like being burned by wood or by some other element. So I thought maybe my teenage son had gotten up in the night and built a fire and it had friends over in the yard and maybe forgot to put the fire out. It was that distinct. So I go outside. And like many of you know, when you went out on Tuesday, you like could feel the smoke. It hit your eyes and your nose differently. And so I looked out and I could see it like the haze over the trees. I could see it resting on the street and I was scared when I noticed that smoke um, because I couldn't run away from it. It was just there. And I knew the rain was coming, so I'm, I'm starting to think practically about what are the things I need to do. And we have a small dog, so I'm like, I got to get the dog out to go to the bathroom because it's morning. So I brought the dog out. He didn't want to have anything to do with being outside either. So I'm like, is it the smoke? Is it the fear of rain? He just like, you know how dogs just, we have a little, it's a pug mix, so pugs are a little stubborn anyway, but he just like got into like his bulldog stance, and I'm like, I can't pull. Like, there's no point in pulling your dog down the road to walk. So I'm like, okay, can't I can't walk my dog, so I go back inside and then saw that there was a, um, what do you call that? There was an alert, like, be careful of the air, so we got to shut up the windows, we got to stay in the house. And instead of, like, this inspiring, like, empathy, I just got really mad. I'm like, I don't want to sit in the house anymore. Like, it's summer, it's the end of summer, I want to be outside, I want my kids outside and running around. I don't want everything locked up in the house right now. And so it was my own privilege of, like, I think I deserve to be able to be outside. I deserve to have my windows open. Um, And as the days went on, I had this, like, lingering headache and fatigue in my lungs. And so by Thursday, I just texted Chris, along with, like, the smoke and all the other things, just a long text message that was just, why, 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 (laughs) why? Like, there's so many things. I couldn't even think of listing all the things that I was frustrated about. Um... But really, when I saw that smoke and I breathed it in, I realized I couldn't avoid it and I couldn't hide from it. There was something I was going to have to do. And so then I started to think about friends and family as I was watching the news and listening and having conversations, that there are people in our lives who are moving closer to that fire. They're moving closer to the smoke um, to put out the fire to protect homes and communities. There are people having to flee their homes and communities because of fire. Um, it's affecting our natural well-being. It's affecting the animals that are, ha- are losing their space. The boundary waters closed down. And so all of these started to kind of build this worry and concern in me. But at the same time, I know at the same level, this is not a new reality. It's not a new thing to know that there are fires burning or that there are flash flooding or that there are hurricanes. Usually we can just observe these things on our phone or we can watch them on the news. And it inspires some level of empathy. Maybe we throw some money at it. Maybe we make a decision. Like for me, I'm like, oh, I probably should do something good for the environment. So I'm like, we got we to gotta get our compost pile back up in order. Like that's something that I can control. Um, 
But if I choose not to open up my phone, if I choose not to watch the news, then I can just ignore what's going on if it's not affecting me directly. And what I realized when I was standing in the street and I'm smelling the smoke is that I can't ignore this. Like this, it's, this is here. This is something I need to do something about. So back to the fire. You see, fire isn't an element. And I learned that this week because when I feel stressful situations, right away I feel like, well, I've got to make a change, which is part of just white privilege, right? I'm going to, I see something, it's my problem, I'm going to go and fix it. And so there's a stress response. I have three ways that I default when I have stress. So number one, I will go back to bed. Like if, if I think it's way too big of a problem, I'm like, I'm just going to bed. I crawl back in, my kids will come in, they can attest to this. They're like, mom's in bed again. Okay, just shut the door. We'll leave you alone. Uh, number two, I, if I don't want to go to bed, but I have all kinds of energy, I start to frantically clean the house and reorganize everything. So Chris might come home, and all the things from the pantry are spread out like all across the table. They're on the counters. Maybe I have a child who's really helpful and helps me do that. So I might uh, go frantically clean. The third thing that happened to me uh, was I go on the internet and I find all kinds of books and I become an instant expert on whatever the problem is. Let's just research. I'm going to read 45 books because if I'm super productive, then that's, that's good, right? I can detach, get productive, and that's still me doing something. So that's what I did. I started reading. I went in the library. I checked out every book about fire and about fire prevention. And I'm like, list of 50 books. And in my mind, I'm like, this seems reasonable. I can read all these books and I can learn all the things and it's going to be great. So I'm going to share with you one of the things I learned about fire because I thought it was really interesting. But there's this man named Stephen Pine, and he's an author, and he's a considered a fire expert. He's written like 35 books about fire. And this article that he wrote really got my wheels turning, so I just want to share an, expert from it, or an excerpt from it. And the article is entitled, The Element That Isn't. So if you get into this and you're like, I really like to research things too, the whole article is brilliant. Stephen Pine, The Element That Isn't. And here's what he says. Fire enters many subjects, yet claims none uniquely as its own. The other elements, air, water, earth, even wood, have a hearty materiality. And although they also have chemistry and are compounds of many substances, one can pick them up. You can carry them to another setting. You can push or plunge or pummel them. You can inflate a football with air and kick it. You can fill a bucket with water and haul it to a field. You can dig up earth and dump it elsewhere. You can leave them alone, untended, seal them off, and find them again later. But one cannot pick up fire as fire. This is the thing that hit me. I thought about that quite a bit. You cannot pick up fire as fire. You can carry its fuels upon which it glows or flames. You can pick up embers or smoldering branches, a flaming matchstick. Remove that fuel and the fire dies. Shut off its air and cool it and the fire will go out. The other ancient elements have intellectual disciplines and academic departments to study them. Fire does not. The only fire department in universities is the one that sends an emergency vehicle when an alarm sounds. So fire, in truth, not an element at all, except its unblinking importance makes it elemental to our human life. So technically, fire is a chemical reaction between oxygen and a fuel source. I have some coffee. Um, and when you put those things together, then you can create fire. But I thought quite a bit about that, about fire um, not being able to stand alone. You can't, like, just hold it in your hand. 
And then I was thinking as I was preparing my sermon, it would be hilarious to like cue that clip from Tom Hanks and Castaway, you know, where he like creates the big fire and he's like beating his chest. Look what I have created. All that fire. But I don't have that for you. That would have been really sweet. Maybe you'll go home and watch it tonight. But so when Moses sees this bush that's not burning, my scientific brain is like, well, that's not just possible. That's not possible. Maybe he's totally dehydrated. Maybe he just needed some grand story after being out working all day. And the kids are like, Dad, tell us a story. And he's like, uh, well, I saw something great today. Um, so we don't have to turn off our scientific brains when we read the Bible. In fact, you need to take all of you in when you read um, a Bible story. But the point of any good story isn't just about its scientific believability. The Bible is always pointing to the larger story about God and humanity. So there are a couple ways we could look at this. Um, There was something communicated to Moses by God when he stepped and realized there was an invitation for him to learn something. And by stepping in and listening, it changed the course of his life. He was invited into using all the power and privilege he had to do something good. There was no more hiding. He was invited to go home and do the work of leading his people out of slavery. So Rob Bell, who's an author and uh, speaker, he had a few thoughts on this story, which got me thinking of the bigger picture. And he says, if Moses had been tending his sheep in this region for 40 years, how many times had he passed this spot? Had the ground been holy the whole time and Moses was just becoming aware of it for the first time? And how about you and I? Do we walk on holy ground all the time? We are moving so fast and returning so many calls and writing so many emails and having such long lists of things to get done that we miss it. So the larger question for us to meditate on is this. If this ground around us is holy, how would that change our behavior? Because we see in the life of Moses, it changed everything. Instead of him seeing something and being like, that's weird, I don't want to deal with that, and turning and running, he stops and notices and moves in. And he moves out of hiding in the desert, and he starts this whole thing of talking to God and really going on to an action plan of um, moving his entire people group out into liberation. So if you want to, you can read further on in Exodus, and it's all about struggle and ego and the failures and the miracles all surrounding Moses and his family on this journey to seek liberation and fight against the Egyptian empire. That's really quite the story. So for me, when I hear those stories and I'm starting to put together after all my research about fire and I'm looking at the story of Moses, I have my own moments where I'm thinking that I can't just keep doing the same things I've been doing. When it comes to, when I'm thinking most specifically right now for stewardship in the earth, because when I go out and smell smoke, I'm literally literally smelling our future, if this is what it is. Like if it's going to be dry a lot and we're going to be dealing with this. I don't like this smell. I don't want to be stuck in my house um, smelling smoke. I don't want to know that my friends are, their houses are burning. I don't want to know that my friends and neighbors are having to fight fires even more regularly. So what can I do about that? So if I really do believe that the creator God entrusted humanity with care and flourishing on this planet, then it deserves a bit more effort than I've been giving it. So I want to be able to see that grander picture. So more is needed. So I can pray. It's not poor to pray. I think it's an excellent thing to pray, but it's pray and. Pray and do. And 
if I, when sometimes I get stuck, there's a hang-up I can have sometimes when I think about caring for the earth, like maybe it's not the most important thing that we can be doing as followers of Jesus. And all I have to do is go back and look at Genesis 1 and see all the things that God created and how God said they were all very good for me to realize it is one of the things that we most should be concerned about. And the earth can live without us, like air and water and fuel, all those things are going to be here. Um, but us, we need those things. We need healthy water for drinking. We need to know that we have some food. We need to know that we have good, decent air so that we can flourish. And so in that, we're a bit like the fire where it doesn't just stand alone. We can't stand alone or not for long. We need all of those things to be working well. And humanity is incredibly powerful and ingenuitive. And I know that we can change because look at just the ways we've pivoted in a pandemic. The amount of things we learned really quickly and the ingenuity that's there. There is, there's hope in that. And that's one of the things I most want to leave you with on a Sunday is hope. But when this week started, I did not have a whole lot of hope about anything. And it, my hope felt pretty small. And I was talking with Sarah about it when we were meeting on Friday. I'm like, Sarah, I don't, I don't even. And it was like this low point where I'm writing some things. I'm like, I just want to get up there and be like, it's just a mess. Things are a mess. Things are burning. What do we do? I'm like, I can't get up and say that to the people. I mean, I could, but that's not great. Um, and Sarah's like, why don't you talk about reimagining hope? And that just somehow even thinking about that just made me change my thinking about what hope really is, that I can have hope in what we could do instead of what already is. And so I don't say this to you saying, I, don't, I know that you are all tired and weary. I know that I am. And for some of you, adding one more thing um, might seem crushing, like, really, Nikki, now I got to, you know, do whatever 10 things you're going to ask me to do, which I don't have 10 things for you to do. Um, but one more thing might feel like it's going to crush you. And for that, I really am sorry. Um, it's, these are extraordinary times, and I do believe that we are the kind of community that doesn't avoid what needs to be done. But I want to recognize that it's hard, and it can feel overwhelming when we think about what could we actually do. So maybe, like Moses, you might decide to run off and start a hobby farm, and if that's what God calls you to do, great, I will buy your eggs. You don't have to do that, but maybe that's what you see as your next step as a conscious global citizen. Um, but really, I think it starts with us, even in this place, it's hearing a story, seeing ourselves in it, and thinking, what is it that I can do? And so even reflecting back on that question, if the ground around us is holy, how does that change our behavior? Or for me this week, the question was, if I see and smell that smoke and fire, what is it going to prompt me to do? So for us, I'd like you to stand with me. I'm going to read a benediction for us. And if it helps you to close your eyes, you can do that. And just take a minute. And I'm going to read that question again. I'll read the benediction, and then I'll say amen. And you can stay. You can have another cup of coffee and um, spend time talking, or I'll release to spend your Sunday. But the question again is, if the ground around us is holy, how does that change our behavior? And this is a benediction from Cole Arthur Riley. Just God... You know how heavy we carry today. For on it, we remember the trauma of exclusion. Would you awaken the soul of this nation with fire and thunder that overwhelms our celebrations, if for a moment to hold the truth of our history, which still strangles the present? 
it is for freedom we were set free. Let it be so and fully. It is for freedom we were set free. Let it be so and fully. So church, as you leave this Sunday, I leave you with that, that it is for freedom that you were set free. And I pray and ask God that you would live that life fully. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Neighborhood Church. You're welcome to stay as long as you'd like to have more coffee or connect and enjoy your week.